Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to have on this program a State House update for you in legislation that's currently being considered at the Ohio State House. So stay tuned because this is going to be important information to you. As many of you are aware, last week we covered on our program about the redistricting commission in the state of Ohio, and this is how Ohio redraws its maps. Currently, the redistricting commission uh, actually finalized the Ohio House and Ohio Senate ma- maps for the second time and voted for them in the affirmative, uh, reaching the 10-day deadline that uh, the Ohio Supreme Court gave them on Saturday. And for all intents and purposes, these will be the maps, and they're available on our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Now, again, all you have to do is search Ohio Christian Alliance and then go to our main page on our website and then uh, click on the link of the new maps, and then you'll be able to review those. Those are the maps for Ohio State House and the maps for the Ohio Senate. And uh, what they basically project at this point is that, again, the commission, the majority of the commission, voted to affirm these maps. They actually did make movement and gave the Democrats, uh, who had filed suit in the Ohio Supreme Court, a few more seats, three more to be exact, in the Ohio House. That means these are districts that lean Democrat, okay? And then uh, in the Senate, two more seats in the Senate. So all the movement was by the Republicans, uh, and basically it was pretty fair, honest John effort on their part. The Democrats really did not have uh, maps that they presented. They, you know, In fact, uh, one of the members of the commission, which is our state auditor, Keith Faber, said, I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs in the afternoon on uh, Saturday, and because they had been deliberating for several days, and they still didn't have any maps as of late Saturday, but they did come up with something. But again, it wasn't conclusive. And so uh, what was done is that the map drawers uh, from the commission, the majority of the members on the commission, redrew maps, gave three more seats to the Democrats in the House, two more in the Senate. And uh, if the court is going to weigh in on this again, the projections are is that the one swing member, which is um, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, would probably concur with these maps. And in other words, because the minority uh, minorities on the the court, uh, excuse me, on the commission, the minority members, which are the Democrats, uh, did not vote in concurrence, they'll just be four-year maps. Uh, let me repeat that. These will just be four-year maps instead of 10-year maps because it takes a unanimous vote of the commission for them to be 10-year maps. So you know, for all intents and purposes, these will be the maps going forward for the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate. The filing deadline remains February 2nd, and the May uh, primary is still on the calendar. No change there. May 2nd, uh, May 3rd, excuse me, is when it is. Now let's go to Congress. Well, that's a different matter entirely. That map also was returned by the Ohio Supreme Court after a filing of a lawsuit by the Democrats, after the commission drew the maps. They have sent it back to the commission, the court has, and uh, actually it now goes back to the legislature, and they are redrawing the map. Now that filing deadline is being pushed back to March for the congressional members, uh, but they will still have the May primary like everybody else. Our statewide, the Senate race, the Congressional will all be in May 3rd. That will be the primary. 
Now, talking about the congressional maps, there's going to be a tweaking to that map that was returned back by the court to the Ohio legislature. And again, I think what you're going to see there is another probably seat or a couple seats tweaked. They might even eliminate a Republican seat, as some of the rumors are. And therefore, um, the Democrats would have something like three guaranteed seats, one leaning, uh, several other competitive races uh, in the in the congressional. But that map also probably, uh, again, this is a far out projection at this point, uh, barring any dramatic, um, you know, uh, shift here, the court will probably not intervene on that one either. So looks like we're heading down the right road. We're going to get our maps. And what does that mean for you and me? Well, that means that we'll know where our districts are. We'll know who the candidates are uh, shortly as the filing deadline is approaching. And then we're going to uh, be interviewing a lot of candidates on this program. So, again, uh, you want to be listening to News and Focus. And, again, anytime that you miss the program when it's broadcast on the station, you can always hear it on our podcast at our website at ohioca.org. Also, I want to talk to you about a piece of legislation about hospital visitation rights. It's a hospital visitation rights bill. It's House Bill 324. It's sponsored by Representative Gary Click, who is a pastor. Actually, I've actually spoken at the pastor's church out there in Fremont, Ohio, uh, Fremont Baptist Temple. Good folks out there. And pastor actually ran for office a couple years ago, and he is currently serving in that state representative district And uh, he introduced this bill because he's also had issues with his congregants not being able to have visitors or even clerical visits while they're in the hospital. And I know that a lot of you folks have actually uh, faced this as well, and this has actually gotten a lot of attention on our website. With me on the phone is OCA board member and uh, also radio host of Live with Pastor Al, Pastor Al Davis went with me to Columbus yesterday. We're going to talk about House Bill 324. He gave his own testimony before committee. I gave testimony before committee. We're going to hear an audio clip from another state representative who is a pastor, and that's Pastor Tim Ginter, who is also a state representative. And he tells and shares his frustration by not being able to get in to see a congregant that was actually dying in the hospital that the family urged for the pastor to be able to go in and for and to be with their loved one and pray with them as their time of departure was near. Here with me on the phone to discuss House Bill 324, what, what basically we're calling it the Hospital Visitation Rights Bill, and is live uh, Pastor Al. Pastor, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Chris. Glad to be with you today. Well, thank you for coming with me to Columbus yesterday. You gave a very solid testimony. Tell us about the aspect uh that you came and approached the committee. This is the Ohio House Health Committee, and uh, we basically presented testimony. Tell us about your testimony before the committee yesterday. Oh, right, Chris. And, I, and again, I am glad for the opportunity to go down there. It was a good day, and I think uh, we were able to make a difference and, and make some good, everybody made some good points. And this is an important bill, and I approached it uh, from having been in the hospital myself and also as a pastor trying to minister to people in the hospital. And as uh, some of our listeners know, I was in the hospital a year ago right now. In fact, a year ago yesterday, I was admitted into the hospital with COVID pneumonia. I spent five days there, and during that five days, I was completely isolated. 
Uh, the last time I saw my wife was when I was wheeled out of the ER, headed to a hospital room. Didn't see her until five days later when she came to pick, to pick me up. Uh, nobody was allowed in to visit me. I only had brief encounters with doctors, nurses, other healthcare workers, and the people who brought my meals and 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 emptied the trash can. <laughs> so, um, you know, that can be really difficult on people, especially people who, you know, some people are just more extroverted. They really need that human interaction on a daily basis. And, and, I, and I just can't imagine how many times that has been replicated throughout our state over these past two years. People just literally put in solitary confinement at a time when they really need somebody, a familiar face, a family member, a spouse, uh, uh, perhaps uh, a pastor or a friend that can come in and just sit with them and maybe pray with them. And uh, just having somebody there would make a world of difference for people. And, you know, as a pastor, uh, I've had a couple of occasions. I I shared one occasion where I had a 92-year-old veteran. He was a a paratrooper in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. And uh, he languished alone, isolated in the hospital. Uh, No family able to come in and visit him. I've known the family for a number of years. I tried uh, speaking with him over the telephone, but because he was mostly responsive, a nurse had to hold the telephone to his ear. And I really don't know if he even heard me. I have no feedback on on, on how I was being received when I talked, uh, there was uh, just uh, nothing. It was very frustrating and a very uh, ineffective way to minister uh, in that capacity. Then just more recently, we had a member of our church that was in the VA. And again, uh, no visitors allowed. And it, it just makes it very difficult. And oftentimes when people are in the situation, and I can speak from this from having been there, you know, the, you, you sit there in the room, there's nobody around you. You can watch the television, but quite honestly, uh, if you're really ill, sometimes the television, you don't want it on. It's just too much noise. And uh, so you just look out the window at the walls across the way, or you watch the monitors, and that's uh, that's about it. Uh, well, when I first went in, that's, no, I was just going to say, when I first went in, I couldn't even talk on the phone. Well, that's right. And so, you, you know, again, many people are incapacitated and they need somebody from the family, a friend or a member of the clergy to be there with them, uh, certainly a family mm-hmm. member for medical advocacy. Let's go to an audio clip from yesterday's testimony. State Representative Tim Ginter actually expresses his frustration. He's a member of the committee. He has his own bill to address uh, visitation in nursing homes. That's over in the Senate. We're going to talk about that, Bill, and actually have the representative on the program. But he expressed his support for this legislation, not only as a representative, but as a pastor. Let's hear his thoughts on the committee yesterday. For those who are listening in and and in your situation, Pastor, I'm going to ask you some very obvious questions. First of all, the hospitals that you have dealt with, uh, do most, if not all of those hospitals, also have a chaplain on hand? Yes, every, uh, Chair uh, Lips and uh, Representative Ginner, yes, they, uh, uh, they all have hospital chaplains as well, yes, sir. And to your understanding, do any of these chaplains live in that hospital, or do they come and go like every other pastor would? Chair Lips, uh, Representative Ginter, uh, they all, to my knowledge, uh, 
I don't know of any place that has a housing facility for their pastoral care members. They do need to come and go like everybody else who would go to work. Uh, one more, Chair. And I would assume that you, as a pastor, a visiting pastor, that would be seeking to gain entrance to pray with one of your constituents, one of your um, members would be willing to comply with any of the safety standards that the hospital may require, including perhaps taking of a temperature or whatever they may require for anyone else, you would not be resistant to that so that you could gain access to that member. Chair Lips, uh, Representative Ginter, we do even right now, uh, as you, as on occasions when I can enter mm -hmm. and uh, visit in the hospital, uh, it's usually, we take, they take a temperature right there, you wear a mask, do whatever you need to do. And of course, over the years of 40 years of doing this, I mean, I, I fully understand that this is the purview of the doctors and the nurses. They have priority and immediacy. Uh, I'll, I'll leave when a doctor comes in and talks to a patient or uh, stay out of the way whenever a nurse needs to take vitals and those kind of things. But uh, most of my visits are usually about 15 minutes or so unless I was invited and wanted to stay longer and things. So uh, we're very aware that we want to do the things that are that are appropriate to whatever the uh, whatever the uh, uh, wing may be, whether it's ICU, NICU, CICU, whatever it may be, uh, an infectious wing. We've I certainly have accommodated with that over the past 40 years. Thank you, and and certainly understanding that the hospitals and the staff are doing their best to to try to limit to the best of their abilities the transmission of communicable disease. Uh, we recognize all of that, I'm sure you do as well, but my point being that um, your coming and going is no different than a hospital chaplain's coming and going, especially if you're willing to meet the standards and protocols of that particular hospital. And so I stand in full agreement with you, and, and Chairman, I would make this statement that this uh, bill is, is reflective of the experiences that have, I have had and experienced myself. Most recently, a family in my own congregation requested that I gain access to their mother and a member of our church who was dying, and they had requested me to come in, and the hospital staff promptly told them no. They requested four times. The staff repeatedly told them no. They have a chaplain, and the chaplain can pray with her. And it was only because of my relationship with the chief medical officer that I had a cell phone number that I was able to gain access to that lady and to that individual. So I'm in agreement with this bill. I've experienced it firsthand. I've had to literally almost fight my way into hospitals. And um, I, I wash my hands as much as that chaplain does, I guarantee you. So thank you, sir, for your testimony. I appreciate it here today. Thank you, Chairman. That was State Representative Tim Ginter questioning uh, Pastor Dan Wolven of Columbus as he was talking about visiting uh, his congregants in the in the hospital traditionally, but there's been so many restrictions at hospitals across the state. Many of you, our listeners, have faced the same frustration trying to get in to see family members, trying to get uh, your clergy or pastor or priest to go in and to see a family member, and maybe you've even had the heartbreaking story of your loved one passing away and no one at their bedside, uh, all due to the emergency COVID-19 protocol and uh, the health emergency, this bill will address that. Now, obviously, 
Here's what we stated as an organization, that this bill, House Bill 324, again, a bill that would give uh, patients uh, visitation rights. Uh, it's, it's amazing, Pastor Al, that we even have to be talking about this. It's a long-standing, fundamental right for a patient to receive visitors, uh, either family, a friend, close friend, or their pastor. But that has been in violation over the last 24 months during this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And even at this late date, it's still occurring. Let me read. House Bill 324 addresses the concerns of both patients and their visitors, as well as addressing the concerns of the medical facility. The bill's provisions ensure that hospitals may require visitors to sign a waiver of liability, require screenings for symptoms of disease, require PPE, and other reasonable safety precautions, but the hospital must allow the patient to receive visits from family, caretakers, and clergy. Our office, the Ohio Christian Alliance, has received a number of calls from individuals seeking assistance as they were kept from seeing their loved ones during a time of medical crisis over the past two years. In April of 2020, OCA had a board member, that's not you, Pastor Al, it's another board member, that mm-hmm. had medical emergency and was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery. Neither his wife, family, or clergy were permitted to see him. This was early in the COVID-19 pandemic. However, uh, just last uh, week, we received a message about a Catholic priest who was being called by a family member to administer last rites to a parishioner who was near death. The priest was shocked when he was told by the hospital that he was not permitted to enter at that time and that he would have to wait until the patient had deteriorated further. The confusion still abounds, and Ohio hospitals on this issue is troubling and unwarranted. This was our testimony yesterday. Pastor thought, uh, Pastor Al, your thoughts? Well, you're absolutely right, Chris, and, and I want to go back to what you said about we would have never thought that this would happen in Ohio in a civilized society to deprive people of this fundamental human right to have familiar faces, a family member with them at some of the most trying times of their life, to be able to reach out and allow their pastor or other clergy member to be with them at a time when they may be facing death. And they want that reassurance that, uh, well, that's what we're supposed to give as as pastors, you know, reassurance to people and help them prepare uh, should they come to that time of their life. And so, countless people over the last two years during this pandemic have been not, have been denied those fundamental rights. And this is where I believe this, this bill is so very important. It really is. And, of course, it was received well by the Health Committee yesterday. We do want to let the folks know that. Again, we're talking about House Bill 324. Uh, State Representative Gary Click is the author, a sponsor of this, also co-sponsored by State Representative uh, Scott Lips. He is the chairman of the Health Committee. Uh, But you need to call your state representative and tell them to support the uh, Hospital Visitation Rights Bill, House Bill 324. Uh, it also has a slogan name of two ladies that um, uh, were from Pastor Click's church, and, and but really it's the Hospital Visitation Rights Bill, House Bill 324, and call your state representative, urge them to support this bill. This needs to get done now because this is still happening. I mean, we're still getting reports, Pastor Al, of people being restricted of access of their loved ones and even clergy members not being able to go to uh, pray with their parishioners over this uh, this situation. It's not even these aren't even COVID floors at this point. It's 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 uncalled for. It's it's ridiculous. Your thoughts? You're right. And uh, again, 
like you said, it's not just COVID patients. And it, it could be somebody that's in because perhaps they had a heart attack or perhaps they broke a leg, whatever it is. They're not allowed to have anybody there with them. And uh, this is where I believe it's the responsibility of the state legislature to take action to protect these rights. They're, they're supposed to be there working for us, protecting our rights here in Ohio. And uh, so I am just so thankful that this bill, House Bill 324, uh, is there. And again, I would echo your uh, call for people to contact their state representative and urge them to support this bill. Well, that's right. Again, we're talking about House Bill 324. You can visit our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. That's ohioca.org, or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. Get to our website, and we'll have information there about House Bill 324, the uh, visitation uh, rights bill, the patient visitation rights bill, and also we'll have our testimony up there that we presented before committee. And then, of course, uh, the link for you to call your state representative to urge them to pass this bill. Uh, you know, we need to really make sure that these rights are secure. And, you know, I posted up on Facebook. We got a lot of shares on this one. Pastor Al, I know you did as well. Lots of people mm-hmm. commented because there's a lot of stories out there. This couple came in from Pastor Click's church yesterday. Just a heartbreaking situation. But we received so many of those stories into our office. And I tell you, every time I read back through them, it makes it just brings me to tears thinking, that somebody was isolated alone at their last moments here on earth, and uh, stupidly, that they could have had somebody holding their hand, somebody praying with them, and it's uncalled for. And, you know, our hospitals have to recognize the rights of patients and their visitors. Uh, Certainly, we would have no problem wearing any kind of protective gear, uh, taking a screening, those kinds of things to uh, stop the spread of uh, COVID-19. But we're, we're, you know, this is still persisting, and, and somewhere along the way, this is, again, another vital right that we seem to have lost during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Pastor, your thoughts in closing? Well, absolutely. And, you know, I have masked up, gowned up everything in the past prior to COVID to visit people in the hospital with infectious diseases. It can be done. It has been done. And I know you've done it, too, and there's no reason now Uh, to not allow clergy and family members to visit people who are in the hospital. That's the right thing. That's the humane thing. That's the Christian thing to do. Absolutely. Again, it's House Bill 324, the uh, Patient Visitation Rights Bill, sponsored by State Representative Gary Click and also State Representative Scott Lips, and it's co-sponsored by uh, Representative Fowler and Johnson and a number of folks. Uh, in fact, I see Representative Ginter is a co-sponsor. And, you know, we actually have two pastors in the Ohio legislature right now, Pastor Click and Pastor Ginter. And, you know, this is a key time for pastors to be serving in the legislature, to speak to issues like this so passionately and so personally. And, folks, that's how we get it done. But, again, uh, thanks for listening, Dave. Pastor, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Pastor, and thanks for coming to Columbus with us. And listen, uh, you could, uh, if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety uh, at our website at ohioca.org or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. Thanks for listening. God bless.
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about a very important subject today that's going to affect all Ohioans as the redistricting commission. Well, it's derailing as we talk, and we're going to talk about uh, the problems with the redraw of Ohio's district lines, how we have done it historically, how we're doing it currently under the redistricting commission guidelines that was on ballot issue a few years ago, but this this is its first rodeo, as they say. It's a, its first uh, time of doing uh, redraw of Ohio's district lines by the redistricting commission's guidelines, and it's not going very well. And maybe some of you have heard that the Ohio Supreme Court, uh, in a decision that was swung by the Chief Justice of the court, Maureen O'Connor, who is a Republican or has been. She joined with the Democrats, basically throwing the whole process into chaos. Uh, The maps were drawn by the Ohio legislature, and uh, they were submitted um, to, uh, and then there was a court case that challenged them. Democrats uh, raised uh, their challenge to the maps. There was not concurrence by the minority members on the commission, and uh, that means they would have been four-year maps instead of ten years, and yet the Democrats went ahead and filed in court, and the court took its good old time, something like 90 days, according to uh, reports, 
to get a decision back, and that has thrown everything into a tailspin. Because the filing deadline is coming up in early February, candidates were standing by both for the U.S. Senate race, uh, yet to be filled here in Ohio, of course. We have a primary with the U.S. Senate race, and uh, that seat will be filled in November. Uh, Rob Portman has announced his retirement, so Ohio will have a uh, a very spirited uh, Senate race. Of course, the 15 congressional districts down from one, we uh, lost a congressional district, so we have 15 instead of 16. And, of course, the uh, 10-year census just concluded. We're going to talk about how that played into it as well. And politics, well, it's having its way because the Biden administration slow-walked the reports of the uh, census reports back to the states, hoping to throw red states like Ohio into chaos in their election uh, bids for the midterm elections because things are not looking good for Mr. Biden as his poll numbers are in the 30s, and it's abysmal. And uh, there are lots of congressmen basically announcing their retirements on the Democrat side of the aisle. There's so much going on here, and we've got a lot of programs to cover this in the next several months. So as we say, buckle up. It's going to get real interesting. Well, with me on the phone, I'm really pleased to have Rob Walgate from the American Policy Roundtable, a fine organization here in Ohio and also across the country. And uh, Rob is uh, working in Ohio. We're going to talk about this. Rob, welcome to the program. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Rob, uh, for stopping by today to talk about this all-important uh, you know, basically, process of redrawing Ohio's district lines. And let's start with, um, well, let's talk about first how things used to be with the apportionment board before we got to this redistricting commission. How did historically the lines in Ohio get drawn with the apportionment board? Well, in essence, the way they've been drawn in the past um, was the party that was in control right? And held certain offices in the state. That's how they got done. And sometimes there would be um, discussion. Other times there would just be part of the process. And I mean, what the term that's used gerrymandering has been around for ages, correct? Right. I mean, people have talked about it forever. Um, But sometimes that created a mess. And when it comes to um, congressional lines, that was drawn, those were drawn by the Ohio legislature. They were part of that process as well and part of that plan. So um, when it got tricky, Chris, is over the past few cycles, and you talked about the census data, um, is when more computer programs became involved and lines began to be manipulated in houses or certain neighborhoods drawn in, certain neighborhoods drawn out. And I think that's when people started taking a closer look with a fine-tooth comb about what was going on and what was the process that was in place to draw the line. Because we're not only talking about, um, you know, we talked about congressional lines. I know you talked about how we're going from 16 to 15. But then when you take a look at the state rep lines, we have 99 state reps in the state of Ohio, and we have 33 state senators. So each state Senate district matches up with three state rep districts. So those all have to go and form and, and, and make a nice, pretty map. But unfortunately, as you and I both know, um, the pretty part doesn't happen too often. Well, that's right. So let's talk about, for instance, we're losing a congressional seat, a seat, and some people may be wondering, it's like, well, how does that happen? Well, it happens by uh, the 
uh, amount of people that you have in your state, and it's drawn that way. More uh, Bigger states with more population have more congressional seats and therefore representation in Congress. Now, Ohio, which has traditionally been a battleground state, if you go all the way back to 1980, uh, when I first started getting involved with all this, I think we had something like 23 congressional seats back then. And then over the years, as uh, the states of Florida and California, uh, New York, of course, and other states grew in population, Ohio started the attrition of uh, losing some congressional seats. And each year we lose about one. One year we lost two, I think. And so now we're down to 15. And we've actually held our population about 11.5 million people. It's not that we've actually lost population. We just haven't grown as fast as, let's say, Tennessee or some of the Carolina states that uh, South and North Carolina that are growing in population. Now, of course, New York actually lost congressional seats. So did California. People are moving out of those blue states because of the high taxation, the liberal policies. Uh, basically, the, the way things are going is life in, in, in both California and New York uh, well, it's not uh, to their liking of many people who have the ability to move, and they're moving to the Carolinas, to Florida, uh, Tennessee, and other places. But uh, Ohio has pretty much stayed the same, and in, in thus doing, we've lost congressional seats. But the Ohio House and Senate, those remain the same, 99 uh, House members, 33 Senate uh, members, and, of course, the redraw of the line. So let's talk about this. So the apportionment board, just to tie that up a little bit, it was made up of the governor, the auditor, right. the secretary yep. of state, um, and the um, let's see, who do I mean? Oh, the speaker of the house and the speaker of the president. house, and then two, yep, and two members of the minority party. Yes. That's correct, and that's what with the the apportionment board was, and that's how it would be negotiated. And of course, you have to factor into that with congressional districts, minority districts, and that's the federal law dictates that. And yes. So there would be minority districts. Well, that's still in play. And yet, here comes this redistricting commission, a ballot initiative that started in the legislature. Let's talk about how that happened back in yeah. 2015. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about how that discussion happened. If I could hit on one thing that you talked about, Chris, right there, that I think is important when it comes to congressional numbers across the country. And you said it. It was based on population, not citizens. It's based on population, not citizens. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And the fact that Ohio is losing seats, and in many instances, we're losing seats to states that have increased their population, but they haven't, in essence, increased the amount of citizens in their states by a large margin. That's important to talk about and understand because you see that um, should it be representation? What was the intent? I mean, you look back in the intent in the beginning and the foundation of the country, they would have talked about population because of the citizen aspect and the citizen question. But today there's been a lot of talk and discussion. Should that be changed? And I mean, we even talked about it on the census last time when it was sent out by the Trump administration, because the citizen question is not on there. The only question is, is who resides there, correct? Oh, that's right. And so when we have so many illegals pouring over our southern border, and we've, we've seen over the last 12 months with the Biden administration, literally, uh, I don't know what the big number is, but it's literally millions of people have traversed the southern border into the continental United States. They are non-citizens, they are illegals, and yet they're making their way into our communities. Uh, that's going to be a big problem going forward in a big debate uh, that uh, no doubt will take place. 
But as you say, in California, where you even have guest workers that come in, uh, and Ohio has those as well during our farming season, it, it begs the question, is it citizens or population, and who's being counted in this census? That's a great yeah. great thought there, Rob. Yeah. It's, 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 all, it's all population, and that causes concerns. And if you took out and only counted citizens, then there would actually be a fluctuation, and states like Ohio would gain a seat. Michigan may have another seat. Pennsylvania may have another seat. And you would see maybe Texas lose some. You'd see California lose some more. I think you'd see New York lose one and even Florida lose lose one or two more. So that's just something I wanted to tie in there. But to get back to how we got to this place in Ohio, um, you were talking about, uh, oh, man, it's what had come up was folks were not happy with how districts were being drawn in the state. And they say things were being gerrymandered. And quite frankly, when you look at the, how the Republicans have drawn some lines, it does have to make you scratch your head and say what was going on. My solution always was, Chris, is to go in sixth grade classrooms across the state, give them 99 different color crayons, 33 different color crayons, and uh, 16 different color crayons and say, draw draw even districts. And I think our, our grade school kids could have got done a better job in many instances. But here we are. Um, people weren't happy with how the lines were being drawn. And you saw things happen that made people scratch their head. I mean, you have to look no further than Medina County in Ohio and see that in congressional representation, if you ask people in Montville Township where they live, they say Medina. But they're not in Medina. They're in Montville Township. But yet the congressional line divides Montville Township and the city of Medina, which has always baffled me and made me scratch my head and say, I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. But someone came up with, up with it for a reason. And now some people say, well, Rob, there has to be a line drawn somewhere. I totally agree. There has to be a line drawn somewhere. Um, there has to be. But should you be splitting communities? So that put people in an uproar. That made people upset that, that basically the party in charge was drawing all the lines. And they were threatening to go to the ballot and had drafted language for a constitutional amendment to change the way that lines are drawn. Um, and Chris, as I go through this history, um, please uh, please correct me anywhere I'm mistaken because I'm thinking back about it to five, six, seven years ago, and we're all doing this from memory. But um, they were going to go to the ballot. And one fortunate thing we have in Ohio is we have access to the ballot to change the Constitution. We as citizens have the ability to write write, a, write something, a proposed amendment, get signatures, get it authorized, then go out and get an awful lot more signatures and change the Constitution. And that's what a group was going to do And um, as it changed, came to drawing lines in the legislature got a little concerned about that and they went behind closed doors and they negotiated a deal and it ended up being a joint resolution to be put before the voters of Ohio to change how lines were drawn and no signatures were needed to get gathered because the General Assembly in essence did the work for them in changing how districts would be drawn throughout the state of Ohio. For state legislative districts, I believe it was a House joint resolution and for the congressional districts, it was a Senate joint resolution. Well, let's talk about that with the redraw of the district line. So, of course, there's always debate that goes on each uh, census and then the redraw of the district lines and how representation and communities will be uh, represented with uh, new districts being drawn. And without question, that's a 
impartial, bipartisan uh, public uh, debate and complaint. But let's talk about the folks that got behind this. The League of Women Voters, other left-wing interests, uh, were pushing this initiative. One is because Ohio, the last two decades, has been primarily a red state. Republicans have dominated the legislature, the statewide offices, the governor's office. Uh, but um, uh, prior to that, you know, you'd have to go back. Uh, my predecessors, they would talk about a time in which Democrats dominated. So they Democrats dominated for a couple of decades. In the last two decades, it's been Republicans. And the state has gone more conservative uh, in a lot of ways. And so uh, whatever the Democrats have been pushing as far as a left-wing agenda, it's not winning over with uh, the majority of Ohioans, and they are voting for uh, Republicans, but given a two-party system primarily. But that being said, the debate of how district lines are being drawn is an open debate, and impartial in that sense is that uh, the general public does have a proper complaint about it. But this initiative with the League of Women Voters, and when I say that, people think, well, they're a nonpartisan group. No, they're not. I've been doing this for two decades. For instance, we're an organization we don't endorse or support any political party or candidate. We do not endorse candidates. I personally don't endorse candidates. haven't in two decades. The, the left-wing <laughs> League of Women Voters absolutely plays left-wing uh, to the Democratic Party. That's their interest. And then we've actually talked to Republican folks on the ground and Republican women that wanted to be part of the League of Women Voters, and they basically get the cold shoulder and the push out the door. So, you know, I don't want to hear it that this is, oh, this is a great group. No, they're not. They're just a left-wing group, and they're a very partisan group. But that being said, they were pushing this initiative, this redistrict draw. And I do think a lot of Ohioans were saying, how can this be better, right? Well, this obviously is not the answer, and we're going to talk about that, because this thing has basically derailed. Now, I talked to one of the drafters, and he shall go unnamed, but he was serving in the legislature in the time in the Ohio Senate, and he was actually one of the drafters of the redistricting law, working with Democrats in a nonpartisan way to redraw this, to draw, draft the language for this redistricting commission. Well, how was it to work? Well, it was allowed the public to have some open public meetings. Those happened in September this year and in October. And then those uh, thoughts and interest and opinions of the public were brought before the commission. The commission now was made up of, again, some of the same apportionment board members of the Senate president, the Speaker of the House, the Governor, the Auditor, Secretary of State, and uh, the minority leader in the House and Senate. There was a little interesting caveat there, though, Rob, is that you had nepotism there. You had... It, Fate would have it that the the minority leader in the House was uh, Miss Sykes, and her dad was the the representative in the Senate. What what was your thoughts about that? Well, it's how it was drawn up, and and you know, there, uh, I guess the worst the worst kept secret in Columbus was that uh, Amelia Sykes was going to run for Congress, right? I mean, that was the talk all along. And right, she actually thing. announced that on yep. Friday that she is going to yep. run. Yep. 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 The worst kept secret in Columbus, that was announced. Um, but again, in what district, what will that district look like? We don't know because right now the court has thrown everything into total chaos and disarray. So we're not a hundred percent sure how that will look. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity.
and the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue well, let's talk about that. So the process was is that the the uh, the, the maps uh, consideration was brought in by the public. The minority members expressed their interest in how uh, they thought the maps should be drawn. But the majority, which is Republicans, controlling the auditor's office, Secretary of State, uh, the governor's office, Ohio House and Ohio Senate, they are the majority. They drew the lines uh, to favor uh, their numbers in the House and the Senate. And uh, several maps were drafted. The final maps then were submitted uh, with some input, actually, from members of Congress. And then they were submitted for a vote in the legislature, because that's who really confirms the districts. And they voted in the affirmative. Then the Democrats challenged it, and it goes to the court. It goes to the state court. And the way that the commission is worded, it does not give them an option to go to federal court, from what we understand. And that's why... We are in the looming of a constitutional crisis in Ohio. This thing can go on and on. We're already late. We're going to miss that filing deadline of February 2nd. These candidates won't be able to file for office because they don't know their districts. Uh, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, she has joined with the left wing of the bench. She has joined with the Democrats. And it looks as if she's in her last year of office, and it looks as if she's going to basically thrust this state into chaos. I got I mean we got to let the folks know that. Robin, I know they're saying, "Hey, we haven't heard this anywhere." No, you haven't. Why? Because there's 22 licensed attorneys in both the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate, and they can be disciplined by the Supreme Court if they were to raise a voice of criticism against Miss O'Connor, the Chief Justice who who just joined the Democrats in this vote. And then also you have other members in the legislature that are afraid to say anything because they're afraid that their district lines would basically be drawn in such a way that they couldn't win re-election. When you have the voices of the public servants neutered like that, Rob, that leaves it to people like you and me to be able to tell the folks in the general public, hey, we got a problem here, and it's, it's, it's looming to be a big one. Your thoughts? Yeah, it, it, it's looming to be a bit chaotic. Um, the way that the amendment was drawn is if the lines didn't have um, support from whatever the minority members of the commission were, then and it didn't receive that through the legislature, that it would be a four-year map, not a 10-year map. 
and they would have the opportunity to redo it. Now, obviously, that's going to all be probably thrown out the window as well um, when you have these lines drawn from these maps. But I think a lot of it comes to, Chris, from um, non-understanding and, and misinformation. They talk about R's and D's, and they talk about the percentage of R's and D's, and that's how the lines should be drawn. I don't think people, or I don't think they did take into account, and they should take into account, the millions and millions of unaffiliated voters, of independents in the state of Ohio. I can tell you I am an unaffiliated voter. I pulled my um, party affiliation. So now I give up the right to vote in primaries. Obviously, you can change your mind on primary day and go in and pull a ballot for either party on that day um, if you are registered to vote uh, properly. But that doesn't take into account that many folks don't fall in love with a letter next to someone's name. They vote for the best candidate. But when I read the court opinion, when I read um, the talking heads in the newspaper and listen to them on radio and television, it, that's not taken into account. All they're taken into account is Republicans and Democrats. And I would say the majority of Ohioans don't identify that way. There are a lot of independents, uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. You may have a higher ideal of it, Rob, but there are some folks that are just lazy. They don't want to get involved in a primary, and they don't want to really just get out there and vote in the early primary. They want to well, vote in the general election. That's true. Uh, yeah, and, and you because and I they don't want, la- yeah, 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 we do, and the, the reason is they don't want it labeled with one party or the other. They realize that's that, true too. Uh, the, that's the founders, true. the founders warned us about the dangers of political parties and the factions that would be caused, and I think that's evident um, today when you look at it. But when I read the court's decision, and it causes me to scratch my head, you're right; it could be throw, it could throw us into chaos. But also, too. When you think about, I know, I'm going to give an example. Um, Max Miller has been campaigning, talking about the 16th Congressional District for a long time. And even when he was campaigning, we knew that there would, in essence, be no 16th Congressional District because there would only be 15 in Ohio. So not only was he out campaigning against Anthony Gonzalez, they didn't know if they'd be in the same districts based upon residency. Now, I understand you could run for any district you want, regardless of where you live at the congressional level, but I just think it goes to show that there wasn't a lot of work done um, behind the scenes to inform Ohioans about what exactly was going on. Well, this commission is basically derailed, and this is, and people are saying, well, won't they come up with a solution? That's possible, but what's going to happen is now the legislature is going to have to redraw the maps or at least resubmit them. They may choose not to redraw, but to resubmit them and then you've got a roving door between the court and the legislature and the executive branch. And, folks, we're into a showdown, a constitutional crisis in Ohio. It's, it's happening as we speak, and you're going to hear more about it. Visit our website, ohioca.org. There's more information there. Uh, and also the Ohio, uh, the American Policy Roundtable, Rob Walgate, that's aproundtable.org. Follow their fine work. Thank you, Rob, for being my guest today. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. We'll be talking more about this for sure, I'm afraid. All right. If you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. 
To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.